business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Dagan, welcome to High FM, Avi on Money Show. Oh, thanks so much, Avi. It's, it's a great pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for inviting us. Great. Dagan, when the press release came out and I looked through it, there were a few things that hit me and struck me. And I thought, what a perfect opportunity to actually take a little bit of time, have a cup of coffee, and sort of drill down. Because what we tend to do as investment advisors and what we tend to do on the show is talk in broad brushstrokes and talk about balanced funds and managed funds and this and that without actually drilling down a little bit. So without, you know, really going into the minutia and pulling out everything at uh, all your knowledge, which I think would just, you know, lose everybody, let's maybe look at the certain things that you as an investment specialist, as a chief investment officer, look at the landscape and say, right, this is the, the direction we want to go, and these are the things you want to start eliminating so that we end up with a kernel of funds that we want to have. And then from there, we can be a little bit more specific. So let's maybe jump off with the one thing that struck me, and then we can go back a little bit, is the stripping out of small caps. What is your concern about small cap funds? And what are they? Okay. Um, so I think it's – we don't have a fundamental concern with small cap stocks per se. Uh, it's just really linked – to, to the objective that we're trying to achieve um, for investors. So every asset manager will have a process that they go go through to put together a portfolio. And and our objective at the end of the day is to put together robust portfolios for, for investors that can produce resilient, we'd argue more predictable outcomes over time, as well as a steady flow of reliable growing dividend income to support their, their income needs a lot of the time in retirement, but it's not to say that you can't generate a portfolio that can supplement your income when you, you're working. So so one of the reasons that married we don't invest in small caps is typically those businesses are in a high growth phase in terms of their evolution. So they're retaining a lot of earnings. They don't pay out dividends. They're probably not very predictable investments because being small, they are vulnerable. The, the opportunity is there for them to, there for them to make their mark and, and grow into big companies. But having said that, the risk there's also a high risk that that those that that doesn't materialise. So, you know, it just doesn't suit what we're trying to achieve for investors, which is a robust, predictable outcome and a and a steady flow of dividend. Okay, so I take it by that that really also what we're looking to strip out is those emotional shares, those shares that tend to be very volatile as the markets favour their particular niche business, and then tend to really lag when they fall out of favour for whatever reason. So it's the consistent stocks that we're looking for. Have I, have I understood that correctly? Yeah, we fall in the boring camp. You know, we, <laughs> we, 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 you know, they're, they're cowboys and when it comes to asset management. And then I suppose there's um, boring, more conservative mancos. And I think we would fall into that camp. And, and, and as you say, with small cap stocks, the potential there is to, is for a high return, but there's also a high potential for a, for a disappointing return. So we'd rather work in a space of companies where the outlook is pretty secure and that you're going to be on the, you know, you, you set up to, 
to succeed. Um, so you, you obviously need to nerve there. People are SMSing and asking, please can you drill down a little bit more into investing in companies that give good dividend returns? Why should that be important to my portfolio? Yeah, you know, we we think the bedrock of any retirement portfolio should be should be high quality dividend paying companies. Um, and the reason why a good dividend paying company is, is we think is such a good investment is because especially if those dividends are reliable and growing over time, is because it speaks to the fundamentals of that business. That business, if it's going to be able to pay dividends, has to be able to turn profits into cash and then the cash flow into dividends. And if it's going to steadily grow those payouts, it's going to be able to do it consistently. And it's going to be able to have to be able to do that in different economic cycles, different political climates, in good times, in bad times. And a real sign of an enduring, of a company with an enduring competitive advantage and, and something that is likely to, to produce decent outcomes, uh, irrespective of, of changing economic, political and political conditions, which in all honesty, I mean, we spend so much time talking about you know, the future and what it's going to look like. But in reality, we're very, very bad at getting that right. And COVID is a prime example. You know, if you go back to uh, prior to 2019, nobody's, nobody envisioned life looking like this today. So, so that is a great example of why we do what we do. Small caps would have come under immense pressure during that period of time and did. And dividends globally contracted by 20%. If you look at the companies that underpin our portfolios, they grew on aggregate by 6% in hard currency and, 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 and were hugely resilient. And, and it's marrying, our style tries to marry the, marry the uncertainty that we deal with, um, with, with, with finding investments that can, can, can deal with that uncertainty. That's exactly the point. And I was actually going to ask you about that towards the end of the show, but you brought it up now. And also maybe just to end off with the cliched expression that when the tide goes out, you can see those who are swimming naked. And it's all good and well to be a cowboy when the market's robust. But when things become tough, then it's really the under, under, underpinned fund, uh, fundamentals that will really stand with you. Well, let's take a quick break because talking about underpinned fundamentals, we need to get some adverts for the show. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. And Doug, if I could just take the liberty to say that I, I assisted a client yesterday through Discovery who is under the age of 60, but it was a painless process if you are on Discovery. And I'm saying that simply because that's the hat that I wear. Um, you know, it's easy. Just call the normal medical aid call center, go through to medical aid, go to the um, COVID option, and an assistant will help you. But if you're under the age of 60, the website that they're going to direct you to, you will simply pull up that it's not available yet, your option. So it is a waiting game. But if you have a letter, if you're a teacher and you've got a thing, please, there are other ways you can go directly and get it done, but just follow the right channels. Anyway, coming back to things more at hand, um, Doug and Matthew is the Chief Investment Officer at, at uh, Marriott. Doug, let's get back into the meat of things. The long and the short of it, is that we're really looking to filter out all the things that could potentially um, not give the funds the stability they want and the potential growth that we're looking for. 
So the other thing that we're looking for, we mentioned at the beginning, but let's go through it systematically, is to filter out cyclical companies vulnerable to economic downturns. Let me ask you there, from my own perspective, how does mining companies fit into that description? Yeah, so they just thought it out, long and short answer. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's incredibly cyclical, you know, and, and, and just one, COVID is such a good example of that cyclicality. So mining companies were obviously plodding along. Then, then COVID hits, lockdowns around the world curtail economic activity massively. And we got a situation when the oil price went from $50 or $60 a barrel to just about zero. Or you know, at, at one stage, you could argue it was, uh, it, it was at zero. And yeah. obviously companies linked to, to, to the oil price were, were their, their share prices were decimated to, to say the, the very least. So at that stage, you would have been very upset owning resource and cyclical companies. But having said that, if you had sold those resource stocks, you would have been very upset to have done so. Because, you know, we, amazingly, we, the world was able to produce vaccines in, in record time. Uh, and then we we had an economic stimulus package in the States of the size that we've never seen before. And, uh, you know, a $1.9 trillion um, stimulus package more recently, which has coincided with, with, um, invest, with consumers being vaccinated in the first world. And that's just resulted in a huge amount of demand, um, specifically in those regions, which has caused commodity prices to bounce back hugely. Um, but one must ask the question, what would have happened to, to those investments if we still didn't have a vaccine, what would have happened to those investments if the stimulus packages hadn't been of the magnitude that we've seen more recently? You know, what would the outcome have been? And the honest answer, Avi, is we have no idea. You know, it took a whole lot of things happening outside from outside of our control to kind of result in in in, in the ultimate performance of those shares. So so that's why we 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 avoid them. Because we'd rather our portfolios cut a steady kind of path or plot a steady path through the ups and downs and, and give you a, a good steady outcome. You know, unfortunately, your thinking might still be tested even further because these new variants coming out now, you know, the, the vaccines are resilient. I saw um, a statement coming out of Russia this morning that was really beating the battle drums. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And so we, we're still in the early days of this thing. Yep. Um, and right now I'm talking to you from Israel. A week ago, we had no restrictions. We were done with COVID. Yesterday, there were 223 new cases. So all of a sudden, it's coming in. And the vaccination process in this part of the world was slick, to say the least. There was compliance. Everybody does it. It was easy. There were no wait. There were no cues. There were no excuses. And everybody did it. And yet we're still having hassles. So, yes, where you want your portfolio is where a little bit more certain and, you know, not to make hay when the sun's shining, but when it's not, all of a sudden everything's disappeared. But let's move on to the, the next thing. And this is something which really takes, I'm sure it gives you guys a little bit of gray hairs, to fork out companies with weak balance sheets. One thing we've seen in South Africa, unfortunately, over the last short while, is that balance sheets take more than just a glance at the balance sheet together with the income statement and the cash flow statement to understand it. 
we, you know, we all know who we're talking about, where uh, it was a very strong balance sheet, and then three days later, the share was worth nothing. How do you actually go by about looking deeper than what you see at face value on a balance sheet? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think obviously you have to do your homework and, and, and analyzing the balance sheet and the income statement. And as you say, the cash flow statement really, really, really important. Um, but ESG factors are probably, are probably also of equal importance. Um, I think there's seldom been a case of, of an investment blindsiding the investment community when there's no smoke, you know, when there isn't some concern, um, when there isn't some reporting out there suggesting um, maybe something untowards is is taking place. Maybe things have got a little bit more too complicated. Um, so, so we are, we have an inherently risk averse mindset. We believe that is consistent with our investor base. And, and so we try and look for um, issues or be aware of issues outside of the balance sheet um, that could potentially trip a company up in the future. And those can relate to um, environmental concerns. You know, is what the company doing um, harmful to the environment from a, from, a, from a social perspective? You know, is it damaging to society? And then, of course, you know, the obvious ones, is there good corporate governance in place? And those are a little bit, um, I suppose, a little bit more subjective and, and not as black and white as a balance sheet, but very important to be aware of. And it's really the awareness of those factors that have helped us, you know, avoid that company in particular and, and, and others similar to that that we've seen. We've seen too much, too, far too many cases in recent times of, 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 of investors being let down by management teams. You know, David, without actually going back and, and digging up the dirt, and again, and you've pricked my own sort of interest over here. When you say there's no smoke, that really means that as a as, a, as an investment company, as a chief financial officer overseeing other guys who are, and ladies are doing the work, it's really important to keep your ear to the ground, not just that which is published, but what is the community saying? What are, what's the press saying? What's the feeling out there? Is this sort of a... Maybe don't have to answer the question, but is there communication between people in similar positions to say, have you heard this? Have you heard that? What do you feel about that? Is there cooperation at that level? Yeah, I think it's it's a huge part. You know, that's that's that that's what it takes to be a a, a successful investment professional. Not taking everything at face value and always asking why and questioning what you're seeing, and and not being afraid to ask the tough questions and understanding when. The answer that you've got back leaves you with a niggle, and Avi, then you've got to understand. Then you've got to try and say relate that niggle to the type of client that you're dealing with, and then ask the question: Does if that client was aware of that niggle, would they want to be in that stock? And then to behave consistently um, over time uh, with you know understanding understanding those dynamics. And as I mentioned, we we represent by and large. Investors wanting more certainty, wanting a little bit less risk, more predictability. So when we have a niggle, I mean, we don't, we don't wait too long. We sell the stock and we move on and we find another company where we can tick all the boxes and be very satisfied that we don't have to lose any sleep that the, the next night. Um, Rather than taking the chance that the niggle will go away and the, the share price will go up. Some, some, if you've got a different mandate or a different mindset, maybe it's worth the nickel. Um, 
but but that's why I mentioned it's very important for you to be sympathetic and empathize with what your investor base looks like and the risk tolerance that they've got. You know, I'm just thinking about the uh, the debacle that happened with African Bank a couple of years ago and how we sat at Ringfence Funds for years thereafter. And again, people didn't want to believe the, the rumors that were there. But let's go on to, to maybe the, the last point on this particular segment here, which is filtering out expensive income streets, the streams. So what we often hear is the price earnings, the P-E ratio. The market is high, the market is low. The market is expensive, the market is cheap. Please sort of drill down for us. What is a price earnings ratio? What is income streams? When is it cheap? When is it expensive? When does one buy and when does just one walk away, no matter how attractive it looks? Yeah, you know, a really simple valuation metric that, that we, we look at a lot is just simply the dividend yield. How much income you get back based on how much you invest. So if you invest 100 rand into the share, you know, what in the way of dividends will you receive? Will it be 3 rand? If it's 3 rand, it's a 3% yield. 3 divided by 100. If it's 4 rand, it's a 4% dividend yield. If it's a 5 rand, it's a 5% dividend yield. If you look back at time, at time, you'll see that that, the, that particular company would trade on an average dividend yield. Uh, and for instance, if you look at Johnson & Johnson, that would be around 3%. We would think a very good time to invest in that company is when its share price is suppressed and that dividend yield is above 3%. So for your $100 investment, instead of getting $3 back, maybe you're getting $4 back. And, 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 and that for us is a sure sign of value, getting more um, um, in the way of dividends than you would on average receive um, over 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 the long term in terms of that entry points. No, it's really a, a simple metric, and again, one as as an investor, it is not really an investor's function to understand the the, the minutia and the nitty gritty. It's being able to understand the broad mandate of where the money is being invested, and yep. simple colloquial English to understand: Am I going into a risky fund, into a moderate fund, or a conservative Absolutely. fund? And if I'm going into A, B, and C, what can I expect to get from each one? And I think everybody can understand yield. If you were going to buy a flat, you know, you would understand, okay, I'm, I'm investing a million. How much in rental income I'm going to invest in? I mean, there's no reason not to ask that exact same question when you invest in a share. You can say, I'm going to invest in Johnson & Johnson, Nestle, Procter & Gamble. I'm going to put in my money. What yield am I going to get back this year from that investment? And then what can I expect in terms of capital growth over the longer term? And, and really that's the question that we just one one just needs to ask and your investment specialist should be able to answer it off pat and just sort of give you the answers that you need there. But Barry, let's maybe change gears just a little bit now that we've been quite technical. COVID's been with us since in South Africa technically February, March last year. Where we're sitting now, we didn't dream that we would be the third wave has really decimated South Africa. You know, I, I read a whole lot of articles this morning, all talking about positivity. In fact, your own press release that came out a week or two before was really quite upbeat. All of a sudden, things have changed and we're looking a little bit less secure. Is this the time to change one's portfolio? Or is this where sound, prudent, prudent planning really comes to the fore? Yeah, you know, it depends once again um, in where you're investing. So we don't think we have to, you know... Make any changes really, and and that boils down to what we've been discussing: um, companies that can produce the goods 
when when it's when it when it's easy and also when when it becomes a little bit more difficult so you know for me Avi, it's just the acknowledgement that we are dealing with extraordinary uncertainty as you say are the vaccines going to work is there going to be a variant is the debt in the system going to be a headwind going forward are we going to have inflation is the interest, are interest rates going to rise you know in reality i don't think there's anybody out there clever enough to get all those answers right and, and if you if you start trying to construct a, a portfolio with, with 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 that mindset, with that level of humility, then you start to say, well, what can I invest in that can produce the the, the goods, you know, irrespective of if there's a new variant or if interest rates start to rise or if economic growth starts to taper off, and and, and that's what we try and do. Um, we try and identify companies that we can own. I mean, really, for five, 10, 15 years or longer. If we invest in a company, we have to sell it. And two, two years later, we're very disappointed with ourselves. Um, and at the end of the day, I think um, kind of adopting that approach, approach makes things more simple and it makes the outcome at the end of the day more resilient and predictable. Okay. An SMS has just come through from Jethro, and I've never, never seen it put this way. Jethro wants to know, do you invest in offshore funds because you have no faith in the South African economy? We, we, we invest. I've mentioned a lot of offshore names. Um, and, and, but we certainly can find great dividend paying companies in this country. I think, um, you know, there are more of them offshore for sure. Um, South Africa only makes up 50 basis points, 0.5% of global stock market capitalization. So it's a small pool of companies uh, relative to what's out there. So they're, there are more high-quality dividend-paying companies offshore, but in South Africa, there certainly are companies that um, are of great quality, very predictable and resilient. Two examples, Clixton cut its dividend in, during COVID. Spa, another one, uh, they, they, they're resilient businesses. They produce basic necessities at the end of the day, goods and services that consumers can't go without, strong brands. You get those, you tie those three things together you end up with a company that can produce the, the goods from a reliable dividend perspective. Great. So it's really not about negativity in South Africa. It's looking about opportunity. Um, and again, I was sitting in an investment um, for, um, committee last night talking with people from all over, and you, you got this cliched statement about, you know, what's so great about you know, America? And I simply said to the person, do you understand the economy of California on its own? California's economy is greater than almost any economy, doubled or tripled anywhere in Africa. So if you just look at it, that's one state of the 52. And so to put the whole lot in one basket really shows a little bit of naivety, but it also gives a lot of opportunity for investment specialists to go in there and do what they need to do. And Darren, if I had to say to you and, and put you on the spot now and say, what could investors expect as returns on a normal balance fund that's got 50, 60% um, in equity, equity and inflation, is, the moans running within the target range of, say, 3, 3.5%, what returns can, inspect, can investors expect on a consistent basis? Oh, yeah, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll look at our own balance fund because, yes. you know, I can have a bit of more understanding, obviously, of what, what's, uh, how that balance fund looks. We would say in the region of 8 to 10% would be a reasonable expectation of, of it. And, and you're looking at a real return there somewhere in the region of four, four to five. And, and I think a, a decent outcome if you consider, if you consider that in South Africa things are quite difficult 
And, and the driver of that return, um, importantly, the moment a balance fund and our balance fund can produce a yield of 4%. So that's, that 4% you can reinvest. You know that's return almost in the bag. And then we expect the underlying income growth from that portfolio to be somewhere in the region of 4 to 6%. You add that up, you know, that income growth ultimately translates into capital appreciation of a similar level. You're getting to that 8 to 10% return. Um, in a in a relatively predictable way. It's so nice to hear the double digits coming through, even though they are at the top end. And at the um, top end, yeah. But Darren, please, if you wouldn't mind us standing on the on the line, we need to run to the shops quickly. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to one hundred one point nine High FM. On the line with me is Darren Matthews, is the Chief Investment Officer at Marriott Investment Managers. Darren, I don't know why, but I flooded with SMSs asking for particular socks and questions and what have you heard about this and what have you heard about that. Guys, once again, it's not a platform for that and even if it was, everyone's going to be very careful with how one disseminates information and one separates information from rumor. And this is really what it's not, not about. What we're doing here was looking back and saying a particular stock was hit by information that really wasn't out there in the public and we all, we all saw the suffering from that. Darren, let's maybe just look a bit forward because we need to wrap up in the next um, few minutes. What do you guys at Marriott have in mind for the next five years? What, what, what's news coming out? What's exciting is coming out from your stable? Yeah, um, at the moment, we're very much focused on, on, on navigating the current environment, so of trying to make sense of where we're at as a global economy and, and, and to, to put together... Um, you know, really sensible portfolios for our clients. We're trying to not get too caught up in the hype around the bounce back that we're seeing economically. You know, it's coming off a very low base. So we've, we've got this big, these great economic numbers coming out globally and in South Africa um, at the moment. But but as I mentioned, you know, obviously coming off a very low base, you know, when you switch off an economy relative to a switched on economy, obviously the economic level of activity is going to be different. And, and, and trying to reconcile that that we're seeing in the short term with maybe the longer term picture, which, you know, Avi, I think, you know, I really tend to agree with you is a tough one. You know, we're all struggling a bit, certainly in South Africa, but I think globally as well. There's, there is $300 trillion worth of debt in the system globally. Just to remind everybody what a trillion is, it's one with 12 noughts. It's, it's, that's a massive number. It equates to 300 and 55% of global GDP. And, and at some stage, we're going to have to start paying that back. And I, and I think that's, that is, go, that is the challenge uh, for investment managers going forward to put portfolios together that can, can perform well in the current environment where we've got a bit of inflation and economies are, are bouncing back, but where those investments are also well suited to the realities of the longer term picture, which is a road that is not completely all roses. Fantastic. Well, Darren, thank you. Thank you for your time. I know it's a, it's a tough time out there and time is precious, but uh, just to wish you and your family that they should just be safe and they should be well and, uh, you know, just continue adding value to clients. Thank you so much, Avi, for having us. Great. Thank you. And once again, my condolences to everybody who's really suffered through this and wishing everybody a speedy recovery and please place, stay safe. Be careful. That was Doug and Matthews, Chief Investment Officer at Marriott Investment Managers.
Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. We'll speak to you next week.